We're going to continue in this series we started a couple weeks ago called Running the Race. And we are just camping in on Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. And uh, we're just digging in and, and trying to unpack this in a way that's going to be really helpful for our lives. And so uh, we've talked about our starting line and we start, you know... Um, and, and, uh, and we just, you know, we try to kind of get this sense of getting prepared and ready and being on the team. And today we talked about the spectators when today we're talking about training, like what it takes to, to be now ready for that starting gun to go off. So we're actually, uh, you can find Hebrews chapter 12 verses one through three, but we're going to do something a little different today. Got it on screen and we're going to read it all together out loud at the same time. So let's go to this. You ready? Ready? One, two, three, go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. There are some who give up. There are some who become weary. And we're being invited not to, and there's ways as we're unpacking this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the one who goes before us and sets the pace. It's really good. Let me just review kind of that first message. We talked about the starting line, these place where you are, and we really, I really want you to just keep grappling with where am I at in my own spiritual development? Remember, it does not have to do with your age or how many years you've been a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, there are those who've been believers for 40 years, but they're still very infantile, very childlike and childish in their faith. We're all supposed to be childlike. And then those who are brand new Christians and they're just like, just, just on a, just on a tear. So we talked about if you're not yet a believer in Jesus, you're unborn, you're dead in Christ, you haven't come to life in Christ. Then we talked about that, that when you first put your faith in Jesus, you're an infant. And you're essentially helpless. You need a lot of help in growing. You, you believe, but, but you also believe some stuff that's not true or not right. And, and you're a little bit confused about, about the Bible and all those things. But as you begin to grow, you enter the child stage. Children are essentially selfish. It's kind of all about them. I don't mean that in a bad way, but that's just kind of naturally part of our development. And as you're a spiritual child, you're, you still need help being fed, but you're learning to feed yourself. You're learning to read the Bible. You're, you're establishing good habits of being a part of the church family and, and giving and serving and those things. And then you move into a young adult stage. And the young adult is defined as essentially hungry. The young adult is like just a voracious appetite, wants to grow and wants to develop and shows up for stuff. And, hey, how can I help? And how can I serve? And, hey, can I give? And can I be a support? And, and can I pray? And, and those kinds of things. And then finally we get to the last stage of a parent or a or a mature adult, and this is kind of that stage where you're kind of reproducing your spiritual life in others. You're mentoring others. You're teaching. You're leading. You're finding ways that you are providing discipleship. 
in a, in a parental way. So those kind of those five stages and we maybe bounce around a little bit or we have a mix of those, but I want you to really be thinking about, okay, where am I? Because I don't want to stay where I am. The idea is you're moving. If you're, if your 10 year old always stayed 10, you would say this is a problem. So we, the expectation is we want to grow. All right. So that's kind of that kind of foundation point. But the start the, the line we want to kind of focus on is that second part, uh, verse one today, which goes like this. Let's go to that next slide. He says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Stripping off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that trips us up. So we've been in this running metaphor, right? This race that we're running. And now we're getting more personal as we're really getting to run. We're preparing to leave the starting blocks and run the race. And he's this, this idea of like, I want you to visualize this runner that's lightening up for the race. Some of you have run track and you know what I'm talking about. You get those super lightweight running flats and, and is that what they're called? And, uh, you, you know, like super lightweight gear so you can just go as fast as you can. Um, some of you guys, you know, like shave all the hair off your legs and your arms because you, like, I'm seriously like you're doing everything you can to, to, to lighten up. Uh, you think about in other disciplines like hikers. I remember that the first time I heard about this whole thing of ultra light hiking. And uh, it was a guy that I'd known, his name was Sean. He was saying that he, he was drilling holes in the handle of his toothbrush because it would make it lighter. I'm like, seriously, dude, like, how was that making it? If you know, like you do that, you tear the tags out of your shirts. Like you do everything you can, the like micro ways of reducing weight and it, it adds up. They're reducing the weight, stripping off everything that slows us down. Some of you guys are going to be heading into the mountains this year and you're thinking about that. Like, yep, I got to get, get it lighter. I got to uh, do, you know, find ways to, to lose some, some weight off my pack. Um, a few of you have been on a couple different trips with me, whether a missions trip or a bunch of us went to Israel last year. And you know that like I'm really annoying to you because I'm almost traveling light. And I have this thing where where I don't like to check a bag when I travel because I don't trust the airline to get the bag to where I'm going. And I know the rules have all changed about how much weight you can carry on. On sabbatical, I traveled for for five weeks straight. I didn't check a bag once. That's kind of like a personal, like, challenge, like a personal achievement. But I didn't actually travel so light, but I traveled in a, in a, in a small enough bag. Our Philippines team were like, we're trying to get it smaller because we gotta carry our stuff wherever we go. You wanna lighten up so you can keep moving. And this we're, we're getting into here. Now, now here's why I don't really wanna talk about this today, this passage today. There's a reason why I'm just, just, would love to avoid this altogether. And I'll tell you this. It's because even though I'm a follower of Jesus, even though my, my faith is in Him, even though I understand my identity in Christ, even though I, I, I'm a new creation in Him, I still sin. I still sin. I still give in to temptation. I don't want to, but I do, and I hate that. I'm like, God, oh, I don't even want to talk about sin because I, I know it's so real. And, and, and it's real for you too. Now, there is this language we often use that we say, well, I, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I, I just want to help you not use that language. Because that's not helpful. And it's not even true. You either are a sinner or you're a saint. The Bible says if your faith is in Jesus, you're a saint. You're a holy person. You've been made righteous in Christ. And if we say, well, I'm a sinner, Jesus says, no, 
I didn't save you so you could keep calling yourself what you were. You're a new creation in Christ. We sang about it all through those songs this morning. We prayed about it. We've already talked about it. And so we've got to drop that kind of unhelpful language. I'm a saint who may still sin. I, I, I'm a believer who still stumble, stumbles and may give into temptation. But the Bible calls me a saint and I can't be a saint and a sinner. So choose one and be that. There's no such thing really as a sinner. I guess you can say you were a sinner and now you are saved by grace. You can't be both at the same time. So God, through your faith in Jesus, makes you holy, makes you right with God, puts you in right standing with God. And if that's kind of a foreign or a new concept to you, I would love to help unpack that with you some more sometime. But I just want you to kind of just... Marinate in that truth a little bit. Psalm 103, verse 12. As many of you have heard this verse before, read it many times. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And I was thinking about that this week and I realized, you know, they say the universe is still expanding. And so if you say this, God's removed my sins as far as the east is from the west, that's not only like as far as I can see, but it continues on and it's still continuing on. That's what God's doing with your sin. So stop saying, ah, I'm still a sinner. No, I'm a saint. That's what the New Testament calls you if your faith is in Jesus. He's taken your sin and he's granted you righteousness, right standing with God, an eternal promise of life with him. It's amazing. But let's admit it, even as a new creation in Christ, forgiven, free in him, we all, me included, right? we still struggle, we still fight against our flesh. We don't win every battle. In other words, we sin. And that's why this verse is so crucial for us. That's why we need to camp on this, why we need to kind of grasp and wrestle with this. And in verse 1 here, he's warning us about two issues that are going to hinder, potentially hinder, our spiritual race. And the one is the weights. He says, weight that slows us down. And the other is sin that trips us up. Weight that slows us down and sin... That trips us up. Now, sin is pretty obvious, I think, most of the time. We know when, when we've done that, or uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, your conscience says, well, that was dumb. Right? Weights that slow us down are maybe not as obvious. It's more like behaviors, attitudes, actions um, that, that hinder our spiritual life. There's this, this verb, the action word here. In the New Living Translation, it's translated strip off. We need to strip off these things, the weight and the sin. It's handled a little differently in the New International Version. Uh, I think New International Version says throw off. Uh, ESV might say lay aside. That's a more literal translation of that word. It means to, to lay aside, to put it away. But regardless, it's something that's within my control to do something about it. It's not simply something that's happening to me, but it's, it, you, know, you know, you go through hardships in life, right? You go through childhood, you, you've got a loved one that's diagnosed with cancer, or, or you have a car accident, or, or, or something happens, you, 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 um, you know, through your school situation, you, you know, I think about those students at Fresno State that were in the master's nursing program. I don't know what's going to happen, but, oh, they lost their accreditation. What happens to those students? I don't know, but they're going through some kind of turmoil in the life that was beyond their control. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about these are things that are within our control, the weights that slow us down and the sin that trips us up. And it's on us to, to lay aside 
those things. And some require greater forcefulness than others. I kind of like the way the new, the NIV puts it, that, that we, we throw off, we cast aside, we get rid of these things because they have a tendency to kind of like stick to us and, and cling on. So we're going to strip off or lay aside anything that slows us down. So I want to break it down into those two things. The weight that slows us down or weights that slow us down. I just want you to think what besides sin. So let's go to that next slide. I, we're not talking about sin right now. We're talking about weights that slow us down. What in your life could that be that kind of slows you down in your spiritual development? It's not necessarily wrong. It's not necessarily sinful. Might be a, might be a habit. Um, you know, like, I remember a few years ago, somebody said to me, he says, you know, I, my, my habit has always been to start the day with a newspaper. I'm switching that up and I'm starting the day with my Bible. That's an example of a habit that's, it's not a sin to read the newspaper. But it was a habit that was keeping him from spending time with the Lord. Right now, one of the habits I'm trying to unhook from is, is kind of getting on my phone first thing in the day. How many of you like the, more or less the first thing you do is check your phone? Really? Six of us? Thank you. Twelve of us are honest. Thirteen, fourteen, okay. But it's a terrible habit, right? Because suddenly you're like thinking about the news and what's going on, right? The real habit, first habit of your day ought to be coffee. Everything else comes after coffee, right? Let's be honest about that. It's one of the, it's, it is one of the most, you know, like there are two, the two most important food groups are coffee and ice cream. Like you realize that, right? Or maybe it's an attitude. You just think you're better than everybody else. Um, or you just decided you didn't like people. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship. You're with somebody that's just, just every time you talk to them, you find yourself getting really negative, really critical. They kind of bring up the worst in you. That's something you need to break off, change in some way. Maybe it's a character defect. You just, you lose your temper all the time. You're just angry always. That's a defect. You got to deal with that. You need to unhook from that. You got to... Throw that off. We're talking about the weights that slow us down in our spiritual life. Could be distractions like our smartphones or TVs or whatever, time wasters that we we just find, oh, wow, that was two hours gone quick. Maybe it's even darker, something like bitterness or unforgiveness. Something happened to you. Somebody did something to you and it was wrong. They shouldn't have done that. It was evil even. And you've you've held on to some, some real... Bad feelings about that. Like if you're bitter, you're unforgiving. I'm telling you, your, your choice to not forgive holds you back spiritually. And I get it. We'll talk about forgiveness as, as a message some other time. But the, the biggest thing someone says, yeah, Brian, you don't understand. There are some things I just can't forgive. No. There are things you won't forgive. That's what it is. Honestly. It may feel insurmountable, but this person needs to pay. I know. It wasn't right. I know. It was wrong. It shouldn't have been done. It's messed you up. It's deeply impacted your life. But the starting point for healing is going to be saying, Jesus, I don't even know how to do this, but I'm going to forgive. And I'm going to release that to you. If you're not willing to do that, you're going to get stuck 
spiritually. Maybe you just have a bias about people. Maybe you have a, a racial bias or a gender bias or just some like thing that just like, I just don't like those people. You need to get over that. You need to release that. You need to cast off those weights that are slowing you down. Maybe it's debt. Maybe you're just carrying a lot of debt. You buy a lot of stuff. You're, you're just like, and all you're thinking about is I got to make this payment. I got to make that. And I'm, I'm saying there's going to be ways to say, okay, maybe I need to unhook from some of that because it's part of what's slowing me down spiritually. Maybe you're overstressing about your kids. You've got teenage kids or kids in their twenties or thirties. And, and I was just talking with somebody just yesterday about like how as a parent, how, how many of us are like, oh, there's so many things I could have done differently and so many things I could have done better as a parent, you know, and you're sort of stressing about that or you just want your kids to have this perfect life. And those are, even that can be a weight that's holding you back. It's slowing you down from really keeping your eye on Jesus and following him. Because you're wondering, well, Brian, those things are all normal. I get it. Those are normal. But how are those things slowing you down? It's slowing you down because you're missing opportunities. You... You had an opportunity to serve, but you're too busy doing something else. You have that prompt to give somebody a phone call or a text and, and you just, oh, I should do that later, but you just spend an hour scrolling through Facebook and they miss that opportunity. Or maybe let's get back to the debt question. You've kind of loaded yourself in a way that you can't be generous like we were talking about before. Or, or maybe you've got, you know, if you've got Bitterness and unforgiveness, that's a scent, that's a sort of, that's a kind of rebellion almost. It, it, there's, there's like a grudge that keeps you from doing the right thing and humbling yourself and being a blessing and building meaningful relationships that are going to make a difference. You know, if you find it really hard to make friends, I can almost guarantee there's some weights that you're holding on to that are keeping you from engaging meaningfully with other people. There's something there that people say, I don't, that's toxic, that's unhealthy, I can't be around that. And it's the weight that you're carrying. It's not even necessarily sin, but it's a weight that slows you down. And I, I think it's just important we just say, Jesus, I just need help to understand what is what are the weights in my life that are slowing me down? If there's something that, you know, it's just coming to mind right now that you sense the Spirit is prompting you on, I just encourage you, in your notes, just write that down. Just Just make a note of that. Listen, we don't deal with these things overnight. It's just not like an instant. But it's just like, Lord, here's something I want to begin to deal with in my life. Pick one thing. God, I'm going to begin to deal with this in my life. So that you can run the race lighter. So, we got to strip off those the weight that slows us down. What about the second one, the sin that trips us up? I, I like, you know, this kind of language. The New International Version talks about entangled. I'm going to need a volunteer for this. And probably, preferably someone young and energetic like Joel Young over there. All right. This this could be potentially a little bit embarrassing. So if I have to buy you an ice cream later, I will. So um, what I need you to do, I just need you to run. Just not from the stairs. Go down the floor. I just need to run to that door and back. And wait, 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 wait. I don't got to time you, but because I'm not very smart, I have to wait till it gets a thing. Ready? Oh, no. Wait. Now I got to wait four more seconds. Ready, set, go. Hey. 
Eight seconds. Nicely done. All right. He's going to do it again. You're going to do it again. That was just a test. And because I forgot to bring um, duct tape or something, I'm going to have to use my belt for this. Don't worry. It's going to stay up. Let's see. I don't know if this is going to work, but this is not really ideal. Move your legs a little closer together. Come on. All right. On the count of three, I need you to run. Ready, set, go. I'm going to need that belt back. All right, right, not bad. Give him a big hand. So, uh, all right, so that took you twice as long. That was a really clever solution. It it was. That that actually illustrates really exactly what happens. We do our best. I mean, we find a way to improvise, compromise, do it differently. Well, I'm so glad that I got that belt back. <laughs> so we we adjust, we adapt, and we say like... But people look at you and just say... Okay, let's put it this way. Let's say you were on 400 meters on a track, Joel. This is really... this is. I'm so glad you did this because I wasn't planning to go here. You could run... Someone help me out. How fast... Curious you, how fast could he run 400 meters on a track? Roughly. 70 seconds, roughly. And Joel, you're in pretty good shape. He could run right now without prep or training. How many times could he run around the track? At that speed. Okay. At a little bit of slower speed. If he just went at a good pace, could he run 10 times around the track? Okay. Joel, how many times could you hop around a track at 400 meters? Maybe one, I doubt it, right? You'd be in such pain, right? So it's not only the speed at which you're running, it's the sustainability. How far can you go with the way you've adjusted? Okay, I've got this big issue in my life. I'm not forgiven that that person. Now I'm going to take unforgiveness into the sin side of things. Let's say I've got an issue with Joel and I'm just, I'm just refused to forgive him, right? So what am I going to do? I'm just going to avoid him. Oh, he's going to be at that, he's going to be at that team night at church. And uh, I'm going to see Joel there and I don't want to see him. So I'm not going to go to team night. You're hopping around. You're avoiding. You're adjusting. You're changing your pattern. And what's happening is you're losing out in your spiritual development. You're entangled with sin. Now, I'm actually glad he hopped because if he tried running, he probably would have fallen on his face. And I'm not sure that our workers... Work, workers comp covers that. Oh, we got a lawyer here that'll take care of it. <laughs> She'll defend me on that. So, we need to be honest about the way sin entangles us and keeps us, holds us back, keeps us in shame and embarrassment. I mean, it's just, think about this. You, I, I was doing some, some, uh, chore in my yard the other day and I walked into a spider web and I was like, ah, ah, you know, like all this. It disorients you. It throws you off. 
distracts you. It clings to you. That's what he's talking about. Sin has a way of clinging to us. It entangles us. He says it trips us up is how the New Living puts it. You know, you only trip over something you don't see, usually, unless you're me. But you trip over something when you don't see it. And sometimes those areas of sin in our life, we don't even realize it. We don't even see what's happening. And we need someone in our life to say, hey, do you realize when you talk like this, the way it's coming across my... So we had this conversation about with uh, with my wife and I, I. I was kind of in a situation. She says, "When you're like that, do you realize this is how it comes across?" I'm like, "No, I had no idea." The sin that trips us up, we don't even see those things, and we're tripping over them. We need people around us to help us. We don't because we don't even see the impact of it. And when we sin, we tend to hide the truth from others. We hide the truth from ourselves. We're not honest. And then it keeps us in shame and guilt and we're embarrassed. And and very often when we're in a great deal of sin, we often condemn others for that very sin we are getting involved with because we recognize how insidious it is and we can't seem to stop in ourselves, so we project it onto others. And then when you feel sin, you feel like, man, I don't even want to be close to Jesus right now. So then we don't we don't go to the Word, we don't pray, we're not interacting with our Heavenly Father. I've got folks who say, I couldn't serve at church because i got stuff going on in my life. Puts us in, in unholy and, and, uncom- and unholy and compromising relationships. We're hanging out with people that are not good for us. That lead us to do more of those kinds of things that are destructive. And most importantly, it keeps us from seeing Jesus properly. Seeing Jesus rightly. We love John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And the verse that follows it, I actually like even better. It's because Jesus did not come to condemn the world but to save the world. And if you are feeling condemned, you know what you're thinking? Jesus just out to get me. God couldn't possibly love me. God couldn't forgive me for this. I'm too embarrassed and I'm ashamed and I don't know what to do with this. And so you retreat and you you aren't seeing Jesus as the one who came to save you and set you free and remove that condemnation and that guilt from you. And so you walk even further away because you have a bad picture of Jesus. So we've got these two things, the weight that slows us down, the sin that trips us up, and we just say, but I I don't want to tell anybody I don't, I don't want to let anybody know because I'm, I'm going to get criticized or judged for it. Not by people that matter. Not by people who, you know, care. Not by people who get it. People who don't get it are always going to throw stones. Carol, could I ask you to come on stage? I, I invited a friend of ours, Carol Goins, to, to share a little bit of her testimony. Carol, you've been on a great journey and you're with me in the Philippines and have the opportunity to share testimony. And I just thought it'd be so good for us to hear this today. Because it relates to these very things we're talking about. Good morning. I could say the biggest amen to everything Brian has said this morning so far. Um, I'm going to read from Hebrews 12.1 in the NIV. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles 
I didn't find, did not find it difficult to trust in Jesus Christ for eternal life. I became a Christian when I was a child. I've been a Christian for a long, long time. Yet, after all this time of following Christ, I have to admit that I still find it hard to give up control and to trust God for my, the challenges that life brings me. The Bible tells me that God does the work of transforming me into his image. Yet, I act like I can transform myself. My pride wants to make me believe I know what is best. My independent nature wants to run ahead of God and determine my own path. The result is I get tripped up, hindered, and entangled in my own efforts. This is a little story about how God has been freeing me this past year from some of the things that were hindering me and from sin that was entangling me. Life had been especially challenging for several years. I had allowed my work as a special education teacher to steal a lot more of my time and energy than was healthy. Then two years ago, my son's wife left him. He was devastated and questioned why God didn't intervene and turn her heart back to him despite his prayers and willingness to forgive. We felt deep and overwhelming sadness, and we wondered, too, why God didn't answer our prayers the way we thought was best. Finally, during that same time, I retired and took on caring for my mother until she went to be with Jesus last spring. The result was that last summer I found myself entangled, emotionally exhausted, doubting my own goodness, and disappointed in God. I knew I had allowed hurts to turn into resentments and that I needed to forgive in order to regain my joy and freedom. I prayed and I read a book on forgiveness, but I was still unable to let go of the things that had hurt me. I felt my son's pain deeply, and my mother heart couldn't get rid of my worry and fear for him and his wounded faith in God. It felt like for some reason God was not choosing us or blessing us the way he was others. It was incredibly hard to be so unable to relieve the pain and doubt that our son was feeling. I also had high expectations for myself with how I would be faithful in caring for my mother and I was unable to forgive myself for not being able to meet her needs more perfectly. I was stuck. I definitely was not experiencing the abundant life that Jesus promised. And I was hiding, not wanting to be vulnerable with other Christians about how defeated and wounded I felt. So how was I to throw off everything that hindered me and the sin that entangled me when I was so clearly stuck? The answer for me was that I could not and I cannot. um, Only God can. And he was so gracious to me. He first showed me that I could not help myself. He then provided me with a safe place to come out of hiding so that he could begin the work of untangling me. He gave me a group of women who were also feeling stuck. We began to open up and be vulnerable with each other. Like it says in James 5.16, we confessed our weaknesses and our sins to each other and prayed for each other so that we could be healed. We spent time learning from the Bible, each of us asking the Holy Spirit to teach us about God's love and his plan for us. Through the coming months as I listened, the Holy Spirit spoke into my heart. 
He knew I needed encouragement about my value to him. So he reminded me about my identity as as his child that he delights in and that his delight in me depends only on his perfect, unchanging character. It is not dependent on my efforts, and it is not at all diminished by my weaknesses. He saw that I felt defeated, so he reminded me that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. He showed me that he was not condemning me for not being a perfect daughter or caregiver to my mom so that I could let go of condemning myself. He saw my anxious heart for my son, so he reminded me of his perfect father love for my family. I can trust him to love them, teach them, and guide them just exactly as he does me. So when I'm tempted to worry or fear, I can again thank him for his perfect love, and I can praise him for how faithful he is in caring for them. And then I'm, um, I have a much easier time trusting. He saw my resentment and my defensiveness. He took me through the truths of how he loved us so much, even before we cared anything about him, how he, made, um, how he was made fun of, beaten, and killed so cruelly. What really struck me when reading about his death was that he never once opened his mouth to defend himself. He even asked his father to forgive those who hurt him. Recognizing Christ's graciousness towards those who brought such disgrace on him changed my perspective on my own hurts. It helped me see that we are all in the same boat and that our faithful Heavenly Father is in the process of healing and restoring each one of us to himself. That understanding enabled me to let go of the expectations, hurts, and resentments that I was tangled up in, which then restored my inner freedom and joy. I'm grateful for the gentle and kind ways of our Heavenly Father. He knows that he himself is what we need and what our hearts long for. He waits for us to admit our need so that he can free us from ourselves and the sin that entangles us. Hebrews 4.16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Thank you. Amen. Carol, thank you for sharing that. Because it speaks to the question of, okay, so maybe you recognize there's weights and there's things that slow us down, entangled. What now? How do I deal with this? Key in there for Carol was, there's two things that are really key. One is this kind of confession and repentance where we say we come to that place of admitting it. If you've ever been involved in any kind of recovery group. You understand that's kind of always the starting point of like, I can't do this on my own. God, I confess that I have need. God, I confess what these things are in my life. And Lord, I turn from them. And the other pieces, we would call it accountability or being with other, finding people to run the race with, people along the way. People that kind of invited you, you, you invited them into your life and they invited you into 
their lives and together you will say, we, we can, we're going to walk this path toward freedom in Christ. There's, there's some misunderstanding, I think, sometimes around remorse and regret. Sometimes we, we have regret, we just feel bad about what we've done. That's not very helpful. The Bible talks about a remorse, a, a sorrow for our sins. Second Corinthians 7 says this, The kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. There's a sort of difference between, I just, I feel bad about my sin, I, you know, uh, I'm embarrassed, I'm ashamed, versus a godly sorrow of remorse. God, I'm sorry for what I've done to you and to others and the impact of my sin. Lord, I'm sorry for the ways that I've allowed weights in my life to keep me from running this race. And so he invites us then to to repent. It's God's kindness that leads us to repent. To turn from him. To turn from sin and turn back to God. That's what we're invited into. So we turn away. We say, God, I'm... And that often involves others in our life to help us with that. And then we stop making excuses. Well, it's just because I was, you know, I had hard things happen to me as a kid. Well, it's just because I'm, you know, it's it's harder for me than it is for others. Uh, it's because, um, you know, I don't have the money that others have, or I'm just new at this, or I don't know enough, or we have whatever excuses we have, and we're just kind of caught up in the sense of, we're just afraid. And very often it takes being with someone else and saying, I need to admit to what's, what's holding me back. And like I say, it's often, some of these things are really good things. Sometimes there's some really good, you know, like people say, oh, that's wonderful that, you know, you're really involved with your family, but maybe there's almost compulsive obsessiveness away that you, you can never let your family be your family. You just kind of have to run things, everything for them. So we stop making excuses. We stop blaming. We stop playing the victim. And a huge part of this is releasing unforgiveness. Releasing that. Releasing resentment toward others or bitterness toward others. And even toward ourselves. You heard in Carol's testimony this point of like condemning herself for not being enough for her mom as her mom was needing care. And it's even come to that place of allowing God to help you release yourself, forgive yourself. Some of you have done some stuff that you just think, I know others can forgive me. I know God's forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. And I just want you to, to recognize that God is greater than you are and he's forgiven you so you can forgive you. And maybe you need some help with that. It's it's teaching yourself to think in a fresh way. Boy, God's forgiven me. God's greater than I am. So I should be able to forgive me. No amount of holding on to that unforgiveness even of yourself is going to help you move forward. It's not going to fix what happened in the past. 
You can't change what happened. God loves you and he wants you to move forward. Maybe it's time to deal with those character defects and stop making excuses for it. Well, you know, I'm just, I just got that Italian passion and, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I've got a lot of, you know, like I, I lose my temper because I'm, 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 I've got whatever ethnic group you want to blame it on. Every ethnic group's got their thing. Well, I'm just a stingy Mennonite. Well, stop it. Be a generous one. You know what I mean? Like, stop using your category to excuse that behavior. Deal with your character defects, that anger, that resentment, that whatever it is. You may need to get to a group that's going to help you. Did you know on our campus, AA meets here 15 times a week. In our community, there's just an amazing ministry that's developing. And we're looking at seeing if we can introduce it here at Bethany called Regen. There's Celebrate Recovery. There's places where you can go and say, I need help with my hurts, habits, and my hang-ups. And you're going to get some accountability. You're going to get help. You're going to recognize there's no shortcuts in this race. You run around that track, you know, you can't just, just run across halfway, run it at that, at the 50 yard line, just run across the field. You can't do that. You gotta say, there's no shortcuts. But God's grace, I want you to understand this. I want to finish with this. I want you to understand the amazing power of God's grace. First John 1 9 says this. Look at this. Just, just, just read this and just tell me if this is not, just read this quietly first. Just tell me if that is not the best news you've heard today. It's not if we have sins. It's no, we have sins. We we sin. But if we confess them to God, God is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from about 50% of our wickedness. Well, 75% if you really try hard. Uh-uh. You confess, he's faithful, and he's just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all wickedness, all unrighteousness. He is so good. He loves you so much. It's no accident you're here today. God has you here on purpose. There's a reason you came today. There's a reason you're sitting beside the person you're sitting beside because God just loves you. And he wants you to receive that goodness that he's got for you. As you say, God, today I'm choosing to throw off, to cast aside, to strip away those weights that have been slowing me down. And that sin that's been tangling up in my feet and keeping me from running this race. No more excuses. No more blaming. No more self-shaming. Let's do this. Let's pray. God, we just thank you that... You've known what we need before we were even born. And Lord, you saw every stumbling, every failure, every weakness. You saw all that. God, you loved us so much that while we were still sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. You didn't wait for us to get our act together. You saw that we couldn't get our act together. While we were still sinners, you died for us in Christ. And in that, you took 
our place. And you've, you've set us up to, to have a hope and a future with you. Can't do it ourselves. Wouldn't want to try because it doesn't work. And so we just receive what you have for us today, Lord, for every person here that's grappling with, with some point at their life, they realize this is a weight for me or this is a sin that's entangled me. God, I ask that you give them the courage to take, do whatever it takes to deal with it, to repent, to confess it to you, to repent, to turn from it, to get the accountability and help that they need, to make no more excuses. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you may be someone here today, you've never put your faith in Jesus and you realize there's a life for you beyond what you can do for yourself. And it's a good life with Jesus. You're saying, I want to be forgiven and I want to be free. I want to have a new life in Christ today. It's, it's the language you talk about becoming a follower of Jesus, becoming a Christian. If you're, if you're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus, I would want you to raise your hand and then I'm just going to help you say a prayer together. Anybody like that today? You're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus today. All right. But for all of us, we're invited to run this race lighter. So God, I thank you for that. And God, I just ask that you continue to point that out to us day by day, how we can do that with you. You're so good to us. We thank you for your great love. Pray these things in Jesus' precious, precious name. Amen. Church is always so.